We try to celebrate not only the, the life we have in Christ, but uh, what God's been doing in the hearts and lives of people in our fellowship over the last year. And historically, I would say this is probably one of the most powerful services of the year for us, just because we do get to hear about what God's doing. It's, it's also, I, I would say, my favorite service of the year. More than Christmas, I love Easter because I love uh, to celebrate and really, you know, reflect on what God's been doing. So we have a couple people going to share with us this morning, and it's going to be uh, a lot of fun. Um, I have an unfairly good authority, though. Kleenex will be required. So just that's a little warning, and I'm going to invite my friend Murray to come up. Would you please come, Murray? You, good? you okay? You good? <laughs> no, she's all right. Okay. You're going to be fine. Oh. I know I say I'm not going to cry. I haven't even started. <laughs> I just want to say good morning. And as you know, my name is Marae Leslie. And I'm here to, oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm here to tell you about my story. I moved here um, to Southwest Beaverton about a, exactly a year ago. I have come full circle since I was born and raised in Beaverton via Southern California and then to Seattle. Um, I moved here to be close to my closest friend, who was previously my neighbor in Southern California. Um, also, I didn't like Seattle, so I couldn't wait to get out of my lease to move. Um, my friend, though, although um, my friend unexpectedly passed away a few days prior to me moving here. As I was settling in, I received a diagnosis. I'm sorry. <laughs> I received a diagnosis that I never thought I would hear, and that's you have breast cancer. As I began the consultations for treatment and treatment um, and treatment, I started feeling very alone and lonely. It was more than not knowing anyone here. It was a feeling of isolation. As I continued on my journey for my cancer, I started thinking that I should find a church community that would help me to feel not so isolated. Um, I asked the one person I knew the best here to go with her to her church, and it never could be arranged. I was then going through chemotherapy and wasn't feeling very good a majority of the time. A friend of mine from Southern California recommended the Vineyard Church. So um, she had um, done so in California and thought that I might like it here or feel comfortable here. I looked online for the location and the time of service. I kept finding excuses for not to attend. Um, Till one Sunday morning, I said... I don't care. If you don't feel well, you need to get up, get dressed, and go to church. So when I had arrived, I wasn't sure if I was in the right place because there were no signs out that Sunday morning. And I ran ran into um, a woman arrived at the same time I did, and she joyfully guided me inside, and that was Emmy. And we've been friends ever since. So... um, Anyway, from the, from the time I stepped into the church, I knew that I was in the right place. I knew I'd found a home. Um, as I've continued on my journey with my cancer, I have continued to attend church and seek prayer. On more than one occasion, I found the Lord's arms lovingly wrapped snugly around me, letting me know everything would be okay, and that he would always be with me, and that his love would surround me. <sighs> On my last, um, 
My cancer treatment chemotherapy continued. On my last chemo, I was frightened and upset. I received prayer the night before the experience, and and it was not as overwhelming and painful as it previously had been. The nurses thought something was wrong because my chemo buddy, the person who went with me to all my chemo sessions, and I were having such a great time. I have experienced healing during and after prayer on more than one occasion. My journey has been difficult, but I know that it has been and will be much easier with the Lord accompanying me as I move forward and continue on my journey. I am no longer alone in feeling, experiencing the feeling of isolation. I still have challenges related to my cancer, but knowing and feeling that the Lord is with me lightens the load, making my journey easier to bear. Not only have I found the Lord, I have found a new family, my church community. I look forward to writing my story, my future, with the help of the Lord and my new family. Thank you for listening. You did good. We love Marae. We continue to pray for her, and we will continue to pray with her throughout her journey. Uh, Okay. Next, uh, I want to invite a couple people that I know fairly well. Um, are you guys okay over there? All right. My daughter, Jordan, my son-in-law, Matthew, you guys know them as well. Matt's not really talking. He's just standing here for moral support. So on a positive note, I woke up this morning with a horrible migraine. I didn't think I was going to be able to get out of bed at all. And some people prayed for me before I got here, and someone prayed for me when I got here, and then I worshiped Jesus, and I don't have a migraine at all right now. But now I'm just really, really nervous. Fourteen years ago, when I was 16 years old, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. We went to different naturopaths, nutritionists, diet, home health remedies. We started to see three different specialists in Oregon, a Clackamas gastroenterology specialist, the Oregon Clinic, and um, OHSU. In those 14 years, I've been on every single FDA-approved prescription medication for Crohn's, including pills, injections, and IV infusions, also including one trial drug study that was not yet FDA-approved. I've had two surgeries removing sections of my intestines. At one point with all these hospital and ER visits, I started saving the wristbands that they give you when you check into the emergency room. Yesterday, I decided to get them out of a drawer that we have that I shove them into, and I decided to count them. And this is just a testimony, so I felt like God said I could bring them today. There's 61 of them. Okay. 
Most people with Crohn's drift in and out of remission, but that didn't really happen for me. You'd think that with all that going on, I'd try to live a restful lifestyle, but it's not my personality. I'm a self-induced overachiever, perfectionist, OCD, very hard on myself. I graduated high school with a 4.2 GBA, got married, somehow managed to graduate college, ran my own business for seven years, worked in upper management at a five-star resort for five years, working 60 to 70 hours a week. This kind of health combined with that kind of stress led to a lot of depression and anxiety, which affected all of my relationships. In the midst of this was constantly uh, fighting fear. I have a phobia of needles, and so each of these each of these wristbands um, signifies yet another time of being forced to face that fear over and over again. Between ages 16 to 28 of my youth was just a constant internal battle, just trying to hide behind a positive attitude and trying to look like I have a functioning lifestyle and a big smile. In July of 2012, I went to go see a specialist at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. Man, I both described him as a crazy mad scientist weirdo. He told us to take one prescription drug that had never worked for me before and combine it with another prescription drug that had made me violently ill and combine it with some seemingly insignificant vitamin supplement and that somehow that was supposed to make me feel better. All of the things that he recommended all came through an injection form and we knew that that was going to be really overwhelming for us. Somehow we were able to set up for a home health nurse to come into our home and administer all these injections. Two years later, I'm now in what my doctor calls remission. I'm not completely healed of Crohn's. I still have some symptoms, and I'm still on a very major medical regime. Home health is still coming to my house. I have a new job now with a lot less stress, and I'm learning every day to be easier on myself. I turned 30 this year, and that was a really big milestone for me. I went through kind of a third of a life crisis, I guess you could say. I have a lot to be thankful for, but it was a hard birthday because when getting married when I was 20, coming up on our 10-year anniversary, turning 30 was a reminder that we don't have any kids. Sometimes people ask me, why can't you have kids? I know so-and-so with Crohn's disease, and they have kids. It's different for me for a couple of reasons. One is that I have a nutritional struggle, so um, because of the 
parts of my intestines that they've taken out. My body is unable to absorb certain things. So on and off, I've been in injections or IV infusions to give me certain nutrients that my body isn't able to absorb. So my doctor has cautioned me over the years, you know, don't get pregnant because if you do, then there won't be enough for you and the baby. You'll miscarry or your, your Crohn's will get much worse. The bigger reason is because one of those medications in this cocktail that's somehow making me this much better is called methotrexate. They use it for different things, for chemotherapy. They also use it for medically induced abortions. And I have a lot of that in my system from the last couple of years. This led us to a journey towards adoption, and um, we started, I started a blog a year or two ago. Um, It's called Journey to Many More, and um, there's a few posts on there from throughout our journey, and there's another big one coming up, but um, we just had a big one posted on March 28th, last Saturday, and I just like to read it to you as the end of our testimony for today. It's called My Love Will Find You. And I apologize. I know it's not fun to listen to someone read, but <laughs> this is this is where I'm at right now. So, <clears throat> My last post ended in a quiet, lonely place. In order to receive this update, you'll need to come along with me as we jump off the quiet couch and head down the carnival maze that has brought our journey to where it is today. You've all been asking, how is the adoption process going? Here's the honest truth. We have officially adopted not one, but seven little humans. This post will be a little longer than usual, but hang in with me. It's a miraculous story worth reading. The past year has been a roller coaster of emotions. We continued down the agency route, then private adoption route, which led us to some heartache and a general sense of feeling like something wasn't quite right. We long for a baby so badly, but we don't want to make any decision based solely on time and finances. We want this process to be led by the Lord, and we want to follow the unique plan designed for our unique family. International adoption, domestic agency, domestic private, surrogacy, foster to adopt, so many options. How is it possible that we want to start a family so badly, but we continue to be faced with closed doors, disappointment, heartache, and a general sense that we're missing something? In our adoption training with agency, we are in a room full of adorable couples with beautiful love stories. All of them seemed so deserving, so desperate for a child. At that time, this particular agency had 40 to 50 families in their waiting pool. They typically try to keep it below 25, and they had only finalized two infant adoptions in the prior year. We are trained that mental health disorders, substance abuse, and incarceration are all common in biological parents and all things we should just prepare ourselves for. Legal resources show that between the year 2005 and 2006, there were 
2,365 adoptions finalized in the state of Oregon. Those statistics have dropped every year since then, and in 2013 to 14, the number of finalized adoptions in Oregon was only 781. That's a 67% decrease in seven years. Professional resources say that fewer teen pregnancies, more effective birth control that is easier to use, tax dollars dedicated to birth control, and sex education in schools all contribute to these statistics. Fewer unplanned pregnancies is wonderful news for the greater good of society, but what does it mean for couples like us who are relying on adoption to expand our own family? We want to feel needed in the world of adoption. Looking around the room and waiting for couple, uh, of waiting couples and looking at those statistics made us feel unneeded and actually in the way of others fulfilling their own dream. We wanted it to be our path because we had already spent time and money heading down that road, but we knew in our hearts that it didn't feel right. That feeling is really annoying and frustrating when you want to be obedient to not head down the wrong road, but you also don't see the right road popping up anywhere in the radar. In the midst of these frustrations, my sister gave me a Mother's Day gift on a holiday that's usually really difficult for me. There are a couple of children's books and a lovely gift bag. One of the books was written by Nancy Tillman, and I still can't read the first page without tearing up. The first page says, I wanted you more than you will ever know. I wanted you more than you will ever know. So I sent love to follow wherever you go. I love our child so much and we haven't even met yet. The last page says, you are my angel, my darling, my star. My love will find you wherever you are. I knew that our journey ends with our child in our arms, but I didn't know where, when, how. It was the Tuesday after Labor Day weekend when I received an unexpected phone call from a friend. She has been a surrogate three times and has been a source of knowledge and support. She we knew we were feeling discouraged with our current path, and we popped into her mind as she was camping and making breakfast with her family. She was asking her children how they like their eggs cooked, and in that moment she thought of us. There are so many... <laughs> There are so many ways to cook an egg, so many ways to welcome a baby into your home. Maybe we hadn't been exposed to all of our options. Have you ever thought about adopting embryos and putting them in a surrogate, was her question. We chatted a while and said our goodbyes. I found myself listening for the sake of being polite, but in my mind I was thinking, this is crazy, there's no way that would ever work for us. I went home that night and immediately started doing research. Our minds were blown away by the process, and our hearts were instantly drawn to the idea. For both of us, this just felt right inside. So what is embryo adoption? 
there's a good link on our blog that will take you to a different website that explains it really well. But essentially, um, there's many couples that choose IVF as a plan to start their families. <clears throat> Once their family is complete, they're often remaining embryos. We are not talking about just egg donation or sperm donation. These embryos are viable, fertilized organisms in the early stages of development. They come from an egg and a sperm that has been connected in a petri dish and monitored under a microscope for three to six days before becoming frozen. It is estimated that there is currently over 600,000 frozen embryos in the U.S., and what is to become of them once their biological parents have a family that is complete in size. They can be discarded, donated to science, or donated for adoption. I knew that my love will find you wherever you are, but never in my wildest dreams did I imagine that my angel, my darling, my star, was already conceived and frozen just waiting for us. Why did this path feel right to us? We get the peace of mind knowing that our child is growing in a safe environment free from drug and alcohol abuse. We got to review detailed profiles with generations of medical and mental health history. The child or children have already become ours prior to birth. There's no need to worry about a birth mother or father changing their minds and our hearts becoming discouraged again. We have the opportunity to begin bonding with our children before birth. <laughs> to feel the kick in the tummy, hearing the heartbeat, seeing the ultrasound, being in the room to hear that first cry after birth. All these details were things I never dreamed that I'd ever get to be a part of with traditional adoption. Matt and I read many testimonies and came into contact with another couple who has a daughter and son, biological siblings, adopted as embryos. Their story is beautiful, and it made this new concept become a tangible reality for us. We quickly knew this was the path for us. We knew there are many adopt embryos waiting to be adopted, and that part of the process would be easier than traditional adoption. But there was still one huge elephant-sized missing piece to the puzzle. Many women are drawn to this process because they have the opportunity to give birth to their own adopted child and experience all the emotions that pregnancy brings. I cannot carry my own child. The cost of traditional surrogacy and the cost of medical embryo adoption process combined would be more than we could fathom affording, even with fundraising efforts. So maybe it was nothing more than a dream after all. I mentioned the embryo adoption concept to my friend Holly. Mentasana sitting right there. <laughs> Her immediate reaction was what, much like Matt's. This is beautiful and amazing. I can't believe more people aren't doing this. I can't believe we never heard of it before. You have to do it. It's perfect for you. <clears throat> A 
and then the addition of some life-changing, powerful words. She said, I would carry your adopted embryos for you. body of Christ, you know? Okay, you have to hold it now. (laughs) I wasn't looking for anything more than confirmation from a friend that wasn't crazy for thinking this might be the path we are led to take. So to receive a womb offering so quickly took me back a bit. (laughs) I felt tears swell up inside and I held them back this whole process has been so emotionally painful from the beginning so I wouldn't dare get my hopes up that her statement could in fact be true sometimes people say things without thinking them through besides I could never accept a gift so selfless and so generous I could never accept a gift that I couldn't ever return I temporarily decided not to practice what I've preached in my previous blog post, and I proceeded to hide in the closet and shove all my fears deep in the junk drawer. Weeks went by, and Holly continued to bring it up. She has a light-hearted, laid-back personality that is calming to me. We had a heart-filled dinner that I will never forget. Over margaritas and Mexican food. That part's not on the blog. (laughs) She expressed that she was serious and that she had thought it through. She had talked to her husband and she deeply wanted to be our compassionate surrogate. We could clap right there. We laughed and cried, and I cried a lot. (laughs) I knew that night that I could allow my heart to relax and that I must somehow allow my heart to accept a life-changing gift of this magnitude. In the following weeks, Holly and I sought out professional counseling on the topic separately from separate therapists. Then the four of us, Holly... John, Matt, and myself all went together to see a therapist who specializes in surrogacy. She gave us a big thumbs up and said that all our hearts seemed to be in the right place. Next, Holly and I went to see the fertility specialist at Oregon Reproductive Medicine. Our first appointment, they thought we were a couple, and then they figured out what was going on. (laughs) That's not in the blog either. A serious, oh it's so true. A series of various blood tests, psych tests, ultrasound, all proved that she was the perfect candidate to be a healthy surrogate. Next came the legal details. Holly and John have a separate lawyer, and Matt and I have our own. They drew up a forty-page contract for us to review. Yes, Holly and John understand they have no parental rights to the children. Yes, Matt and Jordan will be covering all their medical and other related expenses. No, we do not believe in selective reduction, etc., etc. I felt a little over the top, considering we are all best friends who fully trust trust each other, but is wise to treat the process with thoughtfulness and respect. 
The counseling and legal advice brought forth many difficult questions to the surface. There are so many what-if scenarios, all extremely unlikely, but all details that should be discussed. Both our counselor and our lawyers were surprised to hear that we were on the exact same page with all the difficult questions they threw our way. We grew up together since birth, attended each other's childhood birthday parties, were bridesmaids and each other's weddings. We attend the same church, and we, our values and beliefs are aligned. This is an uncommon benefit supporting the health to this new angle of our relationship. Through the horror of all the unthinkable details of this contract, I couldn't help but to throw some humor and laughter into it. Per my request, our lawyer added a bullet point to the usual layout to include Matthew and Jordan agreed to deliver to Holly on a regular basis during the pregnancy contemplated by this agreement, ice cream from Salt and Straw Ice Cream. (laughs) I know that Cinnamon Snickerdoodle happens to be her favorite. It's a good thing I'm delighted to deliver it to her because now it is legally binding. (laughs) Holly and John got a good laugh. Go give it to Holly. (laughs) Our transfer day is April 28th, exactly one month from when this blog was posted. And there will be more details on the details of the embryos and the transfer date coming up on the blog. The Monday before that post, Holly started a series of injections to prepare her body for the transfer. We were together visiting her dad in California at the time. Matt, Holly, and I snuck into her dad's bedroom with prescriptions in hand, preparing to administer the very first injection. Her dad said, Hey, what are you three doing in here? And we replied, We're going to your room to make a baby together. The process has been exciting and stressful, but together we fill it with humor and love. How many people does it take to make a baby? In this case, the answer is six. We have two adopting parents who long to love and raise a child. Us over here. Two selfless individuals who are willing to host the fetus through birth. Holly and John. It's a big sacrifice for John, too, by the way, so I think we should give him a clap, too. (laughs) And two biological parents out there somewhere who chose life to give their unborn embryos by donating them for adoption. So the answer is six. Sometimes it takes six people to make a baby. Coming out of that 14 years of having this disease and then kind of this last year having a new job, feeling healthier, having so much hope come through all of a sudden and God providing in so many ways for this baby. I think just if I would just sum up my testimony, I would just say that even when it feels like you're in that really long, dry season, when it feels like you're getting your 
59th wristband put on your arm again. Just know that God is good. He has a plan. He has a perfect plan for your life. A plan to prosper, not to harm you. And somehow, luckily, and Easter Sunday is another reminder, but to me, I'm reminded every day right now. It's just God gives us gifts that are bigger than we deserve. And that's the God that we serve. That's it. So uh, let me just say that Jordan said it. That that is the body of Christ. Okay, that's that's what this is about. Murray came here and found community and found family and found a home. And these guys have a family and they've found hope. And God is good. And that's what's uh, makes it all worthwhile. So I'm going to take five minutes. Five minutes count them, and then we'll we'll close. But I want to. Look back to the um, go back one to the uh, passage that Rachel read right at the end of worship. When the uh, gals went to the tomb in the morning to uh, take care of Jesus' body, they encountered these angels, and the angel said to the woman, "Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here; he has risen, just as he said." Uh, it, it strikes me that the angel begins with the words, do not be afraid. And I think that was an appropriate greeting in a lot of ways. One is there was a lot to be afraid of, right? Um, the, the scripture says, we didn't read it, but there was a violent earthquake. And I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake, but they can be frightening. Uh, s- secondly, of course, they are uh, being addressed by an angel, which... I think can be frightening as well. I've never seen an angel. I don't know if any of you ever have. Uh, I have it on fairly good authority. They can be scary. Um, Not mean and evil scary as much as just sort of awesome, big, overwhelming scary, okay? So there's an angel speaking to them. Uh, There's an earthquake happening. But beyond the moment, they had plenty to be afraid of. The, the, The truth is this, that Jesus was gone. That all of their hopes had been crushed. Everything that they had uh, believed in had been nailed to that cross three days prior. Uh, the idea that they might be a sovereign people again. The idea that the oppressive government that they'd been living under uh, for so long would come to an end. And that God would reestablish uh, his throne and his people. All that had died on a cross and there was a lot for them to be afraid of. And, and here, what God spoke to me, and this is weird, I, but last night uh, we were at the Blazer game. And in the middle of it, I'm kind of having revelation. Uh, yeah, come on, God speaks, right, anywhere, right? No, it's not. And I just felt like God said for today, no fear. And I just believe that... Uh, Some of you have lived under fear all your life. I think there's somebody here who has lived under the fear of poverty your whole life. And you've worked, 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 worked just to stay ahead, just to stay ahead, just to stay ahead. God says there's nothing wrong with work. There's nothing wrong with making money. But there's everything wrong with living under that fear. And you don't have to live under that fear anymore. I think there's somebody that has 
been under fear of attack, you have personal, uh, something in your history has caused you to be afraid of being attacked physically, some place in your life, and you live under that fear. There's uh, somebody here who has uh, an overwhelming fear of just being alone, and you're afraid to share that with anybody, but it's there every day, all the time, afraid that you'll always be alone. There's someone else here who's afraid of the future. And you're almost incapacitated by what might happen down the road. There's somebody else here, um, I believe, who is really afraid to open your heart to God and give everything to him because you're afraid if I let God see who I really am, he's not going to like it. And um, I just felt like God said he already knows and he loves it. And so I just believe the word for us today is no fear. And God's here this morning. We're going to pray in a minute. And we're, I, I want some of you, I just, today, I, I'm blessed today. Um, I want some of you to gather around Marae and pray for her. And we're going to continue to pray for you. You know that, right? We're going, to, we're going to just pray and pray and pray. We're going to pray all the way through this thing with you. And we're going to pray for her again today. And I want some of you guys, of course, to get around. Uh, Matt and Jordan and Holly and Johnny, too. And Johnny, thank you. Thank you so much for what you're doing, man. Uh, and then anybody else that uh, needs prayer, anything that I just said that is, to, you know, in your heart, I would just say this. You don't have to share that with anybody. You can just get with somebody else, one other, two other people, maybe share with them. The whole place doesn't have to know. But I would encourage you to, we'll have our ministry team up here to come up and pray. Um, I, I just, I, I looked it up. The, do not be afraid is in the Bible dozens and dozens of times. It's the only phrase I could find. It's in Genesis and it's in Revelation. It's in the prophets. It's in the Psalms. It's in the Gospels. It's in Acts. It's in the epistles. All through Scripture over and over dozens and dozens of times. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And I just believe God's saying that today. Um, it continues the scripture, do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Um, they came that morning looking for Jesus and it, it was a sad day for the gals. They, they came to prepare his body, you know, just a, the sort of a, a embalming process. Uh, it was a duty out of love, but a very sad day. Um, but here's something that I felt like God showed me as well for us. And I think Jordan touched on it this morning a little bit. And, and, and this, is not the, this is not the best news. It's not easy news to receive, but, but it, is, it is the truth. And there is good news at the end of it. And that is that you always have to go through Friday to get to Sunday. There's, there can't be a resurrection without a crucifixion. And you have to go through Friday to get to Sunday. And sometimes Friday does seem like a dark place. I, I want you to know that we think about Jesus and, and everything that Jesus was. And I want you to know that that reality of going through Friday was difficult even for Jesus. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he's arrested. He's alone because his friends have all fallen asleep and left him. And not once, but twice. And it just stands out. If you go home today and read the passage, it stands out so powerfully. Two times. Two times Jesus says, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Not my will, but your will be done. He's saying, look, I'm in. I'm on board. I'll do it. I'll do whatever it takes. But if there's any other way. And even for Jesus, the reality of having to go through Friday to get to Sunday was difficult. But the end of the angel's message is this. He's not here. He has risen. And I would just say this to you that... uh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. That's the reality. 
he has risen, and there is life in him, and there's hope in him, and there's healing in him, and he has all of those things for us. So uh, if you're in Friday mode today, just uh, listen to what's been shared this morning, and, and I, I, I believe there's hope in that for you this morning. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and I'm going to invite my worship team to come back up. These guys are awesome. They work so hard. And then uh, we're going to close with a final song. And then after we do that, I'm going to ask the ministry team to come up front. And then I think Shane will come and orchestrate ministry. Because <laughs> I'd probably be a mess and I won't be able to. <laughs>